You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie as always, and today I am having a special treat for you. Um, I am having a special treat for you. That's not correct. I have a special treat for you. Uh, Today, we are joined by Charles Murphy from the Excommunication Station podcast. Wow. Hi, Charles. Hello. How are you? Hello. Uh, I go by Chaz, but it's you can call me Charles. I know that's the name that came up, but it's completely okay. Uh, Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. um yeah uh yeah i'm from the excommunication station and we just do a weekly deep dive into crazy stuff that we experience from growing up in the church um so yeah we cover uh, we cover pat robertson did a series on him to carmen to uh toxic masculinity and on on down the road so uh thank you for having me on i really really appreciate it so i'm stoked i mean we were talking a little bit before. I love having fellow podcasters on because I just feel like it's a different podcast, you know? <laughs> it's a little bit more out of pocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. I can't wait. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about your life, your life story, oh, your testimony. Well, my testimony. I haven't had that one in a long time. I uh, mean, it's mostly just to activate people aggressively. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, so I grew up, uh, my, my mother got divorced when I was about two. Um, for my father that's a whole different thing he was an abusive alcoholic um, and she instead of uh, being addicted to alcohol she became addicted to um, evangelical Christianity Mm, Um, mm -hmm. yeah she used to tell me I she used to put me in a laundry basket while she read the bible and listened to people like billy graham on the on the radio yikes um yeah so this was the early 80s um she got married to uh, a truck driver um and when i was about three and a half four and we moved into his trailer and we ended up going to this um non-denominational church called fellowship church in phillipsburg new jersey um, so we lived right on the border of New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I could walk across the bridge right there and be in two different states. So cool. um, that was pretty cool. Uh, but the, the church, um, like thinking back at it now, and I've done a lot of this on the podcast and and just in therapy. And I, I used to believe that church was very loving and accepting. And um, thinking back on it now, it totally wasn't um, like uh we used to have movie nights where we would watch thief in the night and like that film series. And like, we'd be really indoctrinated into rapture anxiety. <laughs> oh God. And, yes. Yeah. Uh, but then we also, and I just remembered this the other day we had, when we had movie nights, we would watch these Disney shorts and one of them was song of the South. Uh, oh, so God. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I just say it popped in my head because it came up on a different podcast I was listening to. And I was like, oh, shit, I listened to that. Um, but uh, yeah. And then, um, yeah, we had Jack, we had Chick Tracks. Uh, and I used to read them every, just about every Sunday. I would be upset when they weren't in um, like the pews or outside when you came in the door. There was a huge track slot. Um, so I'd always go through and grab them, sit in the pews and draw them out and read them all, get to know them all. 
um, all the crazy stuff in there. Um, but uh, yeah, my stepfather was saved a couple of years before I met my mother. Um, he met her by going door to door and um, uh, at our apartment complex. Uh, we lived, it was my mother and four kids in one bedroom apartment. Um, and we upgraded to a trailer in the middle of the woods. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, fun. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the woods, you know, when I was really little. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, he believed, he listened to a lot of James Dobson. Mm. Um, he, he read a lot of his books. Uh, when we moved to an actual house, he had his own little library and it was filled with um, everything from Focus on the Family to Bob Larson to Pat Robertson. Um, all of them were in there. Uh, and uh, yeah, so physical punishment was in the house all the time. Um, I talk about a lot of physical abuse on my podcast uh, and my co-host Donovan went through a lot of the same stuff. Um, uh, so I, one of the first times that I remember getting hit was we had to go outside and get our own stick Ugh. to get hit with. Mm -mm -mm. So this happened a lot. So, so many times that one of the last times that I remember we were at the trailer, uh, I went out and I just grabbed the biggest branch I could find and like lugged it over my shoulder and brought it back. And he thought it was so funny that we got away with not getting hit. So that became oh. a good defense mechanism for the rest of my life of using my humor to try to alleviate situations that were too, too much anxiety was coming in. I was going to um, say too, that's a little bit of math and science, more surface area. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I wasn't even thinking of it. I yeah. was just like, uh, you know, of course I didn't think this at the time, but I was like, fuck this dude. And yeah. I'm just going to, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, um, my grandmother died in the uh, 86 and to give you more perspective of what type of person my stepfather was uh one of the last things my grandmother got me was this uh toy from he-man or masters of the universe um this guy named grizzlore and he was this part of this horde and he was hairy and he had these uh, red eyes and she got it me for me for Christmas in 1985. And he saw it and said it wasn't allowed in the house and he threw it out. Um, and then my mom retrieved it and gave it to me and he found it later and he grabbed it and threw it out. And then my my grandmother died the next spring. Um, so then the last memory I have of my grandmother is my Grizzler toy going in the trash twice. Um, mm. So... Uh, my uh my 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 mother my wife uh bought me a grizzler toy for christmas a couple years ago um, so i opened that on christmas and bawled my eyes out yeah uh, so yeah so it sits on my uh on my little stand in my room with some of my other stuff so uh but yeah um yeah we moved uh my my grandmother left my mother some a little bit of money um so we moved out of there and found a um I don't know what you would call it. We called it a half a double. Some people call it a duplex is a split house down the middle. Yeah. Um, and we, we, yeah, we lived on one side of it. Um, 
and uh we still went to the same church uh and things were still the same um but once we moved into the house and trigger warning for everyone um that's uh when uh sexual abuse of my stepfather started um uh i had uh i was more isolated um there was uh it wasn't anything that he did to me he had me do things to him um so uh yeah uh this is uh left an imprint on my life of course mm. uh and i bring up on the podcast that he used to watch me a lot when i slept which caused a lot of issues sleeping in adulthood um, mm, i can imagine so yeah uh but we'll get into that <laughs> uh so uh but like i had a my my oldest brother and my oldest sister left at that time um they one went to the navy one went to the air force and it was just me and my sister who were were a year apart from each other um so we were five and six when we moved in um and she stayed at the other end of the house uh in her own room and i stayed in a room next to my stepfather's and mother's room um and uh they never slept together which was weird um she always slept on the couch and she always blamed it on snoring hmm. um yeah there's a they had a really weird marriage and something i've never been able to understand so loneliness but, uh, is a bitch yeah uh <laughs> i can't i do not understand how they survived that long in a marriage um uh but uh yeah uh um where was i um you moved into yeah, the house I, yeah yeah uh oh then i started going to school sorry um uh so i went to christian private school um from kindergarten all the way up to 10th grade but uh i went to the the church we were attending i went to that school um which was we didn't have uniforms which was kind of cool my class was maybe about 15 to 20 kids most of them went to the church. Um, some of them went to the Assemblies of God Church down the road, Oof. which my stepfather was a hundred percent against because they speak spoken tongues. Yeah, um, we. I was AG. I know. Yep, we do. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Latin AG, so it's a little bit more intense, but. Yeah. Oh man. Um. So that was cool, I guess. Uh, when I tell people I spent a lot of time in church um of course i went to school five days a week at church um i was in sunday school morning service then we had um my stepfather uh would preach at the nursing home and so i had nursing home church after church and then we would have choir practice and then we go back for evening service wednesday was was uh prayer service Tuesday night was Boys Brigade, or uh, some people had Royal Rangers. Um, ah, depending on Royal yeah, Rangers. Yeah, we my church didn't participate in that because that was at the Assembly of God Church. Yeah, I think it's uh, we, AG specific. <laughs> yeah, it is. So we did this offshoot thing called Boys Brigade, and and gave them the finger, I guess. But uh, um, then um, uh, Saturdays was usually like every other Saturday was like a potluck get together at the church, and we always did that. Um, and in between then, like, uh, we did, oh God, I can't remember all the times I had to go clean out people's houses 
and stuff in service to the church. My mother was the church librarian. My stepfather was an usher and a, uh, a deacon. Uh, so they spent more time doing things with the church than they did with my sister and I. Uh, I remember that a lot. Like baseball. I, I played baseball. Stepfather never went to a game. Um, but like he was always there in church no matter what, which was, you know, no, they never missed a Sunday. If they did, they always watched TV for church on mm. Sunday. So mm -hmm. um, speaking of TV. That was odd. Something's going off. Hold on. My, my son's iPad's going off. Oh, yeah. You know, guys, these kids, they'll, they'll get you. Go, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> this is obviously a very professional production. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. No problem, buddy. Um, my dogs bark. My I have two dogs, yeah. too. They're sleeping, luckily. Um, uh, too. Right next to me, though, so who knows what could happen. Aw. <laughs> um, so speaking of TV, like, uh, I know I wasn't, you know, it's not unique uh, to evangelical Christians, but, you know, nothing was allowed, basically, other than Christian programming. Mm. We didn't listen to any music, but Christian music. Uh, my mother would sneak in the oldie station every once in a while. But I remember I had an oldies tape my stepfather found. I found it somewhere and I was just listening to it and he took it and broke it and threw it away because he didn't like the messages that were in it. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like elvis and like the like the song get a job he hated because it promoted laziness and it was oh just like God. okay yeah uh so yeah uh it, that was like that movies weren't allowed unless he screened them first um i remember he got a copy of uh kevin costner movie uh dances with wolves oh and yes the Classic. scene where they the sex scene in it he knew it was in there because he watched it once already he made us all get out of the room while he said sat there and watched it what a Again. hypocrite oh yeah big time hypocrite yeah, yeah um yeah so that's the type of environment i grew up in um we eventually left that church when i was in sixth grade um and we went we uh my sister graduated from that school we couldn't afford to go to the more expensive private schools so we found this really really dirt cheap uh christian private school in this rundown church called rock uh christian academy in eastern pennsylvania um it's not in operation anymore but um it was if i thought that church i went to before was fundamentalist this one was way fucking over the top um we had to wear uniforms uh we attended the church part-time but we still went to we ended up leaving the church before and went to a different one this was a christian missionary alliance church which is kind of not fundamentalist but not completely liberal mm -hmm. kind of in between but the church we went to school at was like they spoke in tongues which blew my fucking mind the first time i saw it uh that shit's scary <laughs> it i can't my stepfather prepped us before we went in there in the car i remember sitting outside and he was just like let me tell you something they're gonna do stuff in here that you've never seen before 
and I want you to be, you know, be prepared for it. But we just got to get through this because you guys are going to be going to school here. So we're just like, oh, my God. So we go in there. They have drums. I've never seen that before at a church. Oh, yeah. They're dancing up and down the aisles. Never seen that before in church. I think I'm like 12 at this time. Um, you know, and then the speaking in tongues, I just like kind of like jumped back a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, that was a hard school to get accustomed to it first because I was used to like not wearing uniforms and kind of a little bit more liberal sense of, you know, what you could do and couldn't do. But we still learned from Rebecca books. It was still the same curriculum. Um, we went over my fourth grade history book on the podcast. Um, so that was amazing. <laughs> um, I learned that uh, slaves like to like to live in the South because of the hot climate and they enjoyed it. Um, and you know, there was a lot of stuff in there that I, that I had to relearn, uh, that I completely forgot about, uh, that was taught to me at such a young age. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that school was rough. Um, uh, experienced a lot of bullying, still made some friends, but overall I, I did not enjoy the experience. I was there for four years. Um, uh at home things got rough because i went through uh i stood up for my sister at one point in time and it got the kids in the neighborhood not to like me so uh intense bullying from my kids in the neighbor uh, friend friends in the neighborhood um like uh they i got shot at with a bb gun um beat up in the cemetery when I was like surrounded by them beat up in the cemetery and like I was going through this at home too with my stepfather um I was going through this uh at school with kids and it just I basically at in sixth and seventh grade I just retreated to my room and stayed there yeah. uh uh gained a ton of weight um yeah I I shut my door and just stayed there and mm. you know got really sucked into atari and nintendo when we could finally afford one um and uh yeah uh it wasn't until i was 15 where i told my mother i needed help mm. um i was really depressed of course i mean <laughs> so like all of this stuff produced a lot of byproducts in me um that weren't um that weren't good um i developed like severe depression anxiety um a lot of distrust in people uh a lot of stuff that i would recognize later in my life and actually try to take care of um but uh yeah i told her i was i was in the kitchen with her and i just started crying and she was just like what's the problem and i said i need help i'm really depressed and she looked at me in the face and said, you just need to suck it up. You have nothing to be depressed about. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And um, uh, about six months later was the first time I tried to kill myself um, when I was 15. Um, and that didn't happen. Uh, so which was good. Um, and uh, so I went on. Um, I was praying hard and trying to believe in God that he would get me out of this 
whatever I was going through, um, people at church laid hands on me and prayed over me. And it was somewhere between uh, demonic possession to I didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, that this was my fault. Um, uh, you know, my parents are trying their best and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, so which leaves you alone and isolated and feeling like nobody else is going through this, but you, um, so yeah, uh, I developed a lot of bad habits. Um, I started stealing, um, which lasted until my, uh, late twenties, I would say, um, I hid things all the time. I'm still dealing with that. Um, what was your theft of choice though? Just to out of curiosity whatever was a bit what was ever in front of me <clears throat> oh equal opportunity um, yeah uh i tell my therapist this and i was just like i because it was like i feel like such a piece of shit from when i was in my early 20s and late teens where like but i was just like at the same time i didn't have any money and i needed like i need money to to eat to get to school and like so i stole ten dollars out of the safe at work one day I was just like, that got me to school and got me lunch. I'm just like, I don't feel bad about that. (laughs) But I do feel bad about the Vans wallet I stole from my wife from the Vans store when we first started dating. Eh, Yeah, Vans has plenty of money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was just equal opportunity. Whatever was in front of me, whatever was available, depends. it depended on the need, if I needed it. Um, There were lots of times where it came in handy. uh yeah um hiding stuff Mm. is still something i still have issues with Mm -hmm. um uh including with my wife um uh not anything nefarious or anything uh like one day she was like did you go outside to smoke weed and i was like no Mm. and she was just like you're lying to me and i'm like yes and she's like mm. why do you hide that stuff and i'm like i can't ex- i don't have the time to explain it to you <laughs> you well, know it feels like so. you're gonna get in trouble you know it's like a absolutely natural yeah. response yeah yeah there's a fear of physical um punishment there's a mm-hmm. fear of retribution from god um there's a lot of stuff that still goes on within within my head that uh you know through therapy i'm still trying to break down um but uh one of the most defining moments i think of my adolescence was when I was at a youth retreat and um, I was standing up with everyone and they had a special pastor come in who I'd never met before. And he was going around the room prophesying over everyone and praying over them and laying hands on them. And one by one, he'd lay his hands on like their head or their shoulders and they'd fall over and they would start speaking in tongues and like laying on the ground crying so finally it was my turn the whole fucking time i'm nervous like my heart is beating like crazy i don't know what's going to happen if anything's going to happen i'm scared to death so he gets to me and he prays over me and prophesies that i'm going to be a leader of men and blah 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 blah. and he puts his head hand on top of my head and pushes me and i don't do anything and i'm just like what the fuck is going on so then he does it again harder and i don't do anything i'm just standing there 
So then people come up behind me and he takes his both hands and just pushes me on the shoulder. So I fall back into the people's hands behind me and they just lay me down. And I just laid there and stood at the stared at the ceiling, um, which felt like for forever, but it, it had to be like a half hour because they, they still had to go around the room. Oh, I would have taken a nap. I felt, yeah, I, but I felt so fucking lonely mm. in that spot because I'm looking around at all my friends and they're all going through this experience and I'm and something's happening to them and I'm just sitting here and like, God, why did you walk over me? Mm. You know, um, years later, I realized that it was, you know, like, I don't want to say mass hysteria, but like it was like something that went through everyone like an emotional charge or whatever you want to call it and they kind of all bought into yeah. it and like I didn't I mm-hmm. didn't because I was expecting something to be real and I was expecting the wind to come down from heaven and push me over and I had faith in that and it didn't happen and it really started the change in me and around that time I started getting into hardcore and punk um which was all hidden from everyone mm-hmm. um i would have tapes of bands that i would put labels on like jeff moore in the distance or i would put like jars of clay on it so nobody jars would question it or petra or whatever band was big at the time but it would be like the misfits or it would be you know minor threat or all these other punk bands i was into and um yeah, they just kind of stayed in a in a shelf or I hid them underneath my mattress. Um, I remember my mother found a dead Kennedy CD for me one time and she lost her lost her mind and I had to explain to her what the song Too Drunk to Fuck meant. Um, <laughs> try doing that to an evangelical woman. Uh, she did not want to fucking hear it. Um, years later, I found it in a desk of hers. And just yeah, took it. She liked took it. it. She liked yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but then, um, yeah, I got into that. But it really made me realize that there was a community out there where I could freely express my anger. And there was groups of kids out there that were lonely and isolated um, and had fucked up households. And it was okay to to have those and express those. Because I know you know that we're not really allowed to express our emotions and our Mm -hmm. feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, And so everything's got to be good. Uh, So yeah, uh, got into that, um, started to start to deconstruct a little, I mean, of course it wasn't called that back then. I didn't even know what it was called back then, but I was just taking little things here and there like uh, abortion or, and I was just like, well, this group rocked a life is really into punk and hardcore but their message is really fucked up Mm. and like they're they want us to hand out these posters and flyers with like ripped up you know remains on it or whatnot and try to shock people i was like i'm not doing that Mm. um and then you know it got it you know abortion and then lgbtq um issues and you know uh the internet started becoming a thing so i found more christians that were more liberal so i had Mm. more of a place to go i guess but i still didn't feel right um and then 
by the time I graduated high school, every, all of my friends had left and gone off and I didn't have money for school. So I just kind of stayed around town, tried to get out of my family's house, but I could only find like shit jobs. Um, so that was hard enough. My stepfather was charging me rent to live at the house. Mm. Um, so it was just like, how the fuck am I supposed to get ahead if I have to pay you to get out of here? Um, mm -hmm. So uh, by the time I think I was 23, 24, I was pretty much done. Um, the youth pastor tried to invite me back into the church and to like be some youth leader, I guess. And um, that didn't work out. I didn't feel welcome there by the other adults. Um, and I felt... Uh, I felt like they set me up at one point in time uh, because they wanted me to come in to do because I was going to school for political science. I went to community college eventually, um, and uh, they wanted me to do a presentation on the Electoral College and uh, for the youth group. <laughs> I don't fucking know why, uh, but like it was a 2004 election. Uh, so they had me come in and do it. Um, but unbeknownst to me, they had other adults come with come with them. And the adults started grilling me in front of everyone. And uh, I was just like, yeah, this isn't like, I'm just here to explain the, the electoral college. I'm not here to tell you why I don't see eye to eye with you on abortion right now. Yeah, this is children. not a debate. This is a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I eventually moved to Chicago. There was a girl I was interested in and we, uh, I, that's when I finally felt okay to leave the church when I finally got away from everything. Mm. Um, and I didn't move back in. I spent a couple of years moving back and forth from my parents' house to, uh, I had a roommate at one point. Uh, there was about six months where I lived on couches and slept in my car just so i wouldn't live with my stepfather and mother again mm. um so i eventually found a home in chicago uh made friends met my eventual wife at a hardcore show um and uh yeah then moved back east when we got after we got married and didn't deal with any of this shit <laughs> Uh, for years and years and years, um, and we ended up having two kids. Um, there were issues when we first, when my wife was pregnant because of my emotional detachment from everything. Um, I had, I was scared to fucking death of having kids. Mm. I'm just like, I'm going to do the same shit that was done to me. I'm either going to leave or I'm going to hurt these kids. Um, I don't know how to do this. Mm. Every single example I've ever had from the Bible to my parents is completely fucked. Mm. Um, my stepfather one time took me out, uh, to eat once. One of the only times we ever went out to eat. The audacity um, of this man, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he sat there and told me that, um, if God ever called him like Abraham did to Isaac that he would have to do it. <coughs> I was coughing, but oh my God. <coughs> oh and, God. 
I told this to my friend Donovan, and he's like, my father did the same thing to me. And I'm like, holy shit. Is this an example that some dads, some fathers use to their sons or even daughters um, to try to get them to fall in line and stay in line? Um, that scared the shit out of me because he was like, because man's law, God's God's laws are higher than man's. And I'm like, if this guy fucking hears a voice one day, I'm dead. Mm. Like, that's the kind of environment I grew up in. And on the flip side, my mother, so I don't excuse her from all this. When I was really little, she used to bring pins to church. So oh, if I'd make no! them, she'd poke me with them. And this is where I developed my my bouncing leg anxiety issue. Um, because that's still going on today. But yeah. She oh my god, that is that. so painful. Yeah, yeah. Uh it sucked. Um so but it the thing is is like I and I didn't understand it, is that I still went back to this family on holidays and when they needed me and when I'd get a phone call and when I do this or do that and I'm always of service to my family. Gosh. Yep. It's preaching to the choir, homie. (laughs) Yeah. We moved back um, in 2007, my wife and I, before we had our kids, uh, we stayed about two hours away because I wanted to like I can be close, but not that close. They, I don't want them stopping in for anything, you know? So, um, so yeah, we saw them in the holidays and when they invited us up there, uh, and eventually, um, in t- 2011, I found out that my father almost passed away and, uh, from alcoholism and, uh, he wanted to reconnect with his kids uh and try to be there in their lives and um regretfully to this day i i i did have a relationship with him after this point um for a little bit uh i allowed him to be around my my children um he was completely sober uh for the first time in almost his life um and uh so I allowed that. Um, one of my favorite moments of my life is I sat there on Christmas morning. Um, this wasn't at my mom's house. It was at my oldest sister's house. So they weren't, they didn't see each other. Uh, so I was sitting back there and watched my father play with my three-year-old son mm. on his iPad. And I just sat back there and I just cried. Mm. Like sat in the corner of the room, just watched it and be, and was like, this is fulfilling something inside of me right now that... I don't know what the fuck's going on, but like it's touching me in a way that like it isn't I don't know, isn't normal. Mm. But uh yeah. So uh for three years he was in my life. Uh and he passed away um in late 2014, um, and uh from cancer. But uh the only thing I really regret is not doing more because he invited me to do things with him and i was because of fucking bullshit from church and from my parent my other parents i didn't do it because i was too scared Mm. um so but other than that um my uh my uh stepfather and mother or my stepfather left my mother (laughs) uh (laughs) after that soon after that um and 
I had to go up to her apartment or her house at the time and throw out all his stuff. And we found just boxes and boxes of receipts because he had been spending money like a fucking madman and buying clothes and golf equipment. That was his most prized thing was golf. Um, Boring. Yep. Tried to get me to play it. There was a lot of abuse that went through with it, like how he taught me to how to hit a ball, where he would be like, you can't pick up your head. So he came over and grabbed my hair, and he said, if you pick up your head, it's going to pull your hair. So that's how he taught me to keep my head down. So. Oh, my yeah. God. So, yeah, that's cool. Um, Oh, shit. There's one other important thing I forgot to tell you, because this this is kind of a, a big thing. Um, right before my father died, he let me and the rest of my siblings on a little secret. And that was between my oldest brother and my older sister being born that my father and mother had another child. And in secret, the night that the baby was born, uh, my father cut the umbilical cord, wrapped him up in a white T-shirt took him to a local bowling alley and put him in the back seat of a car and left. My brother was found by an 18-year-old kid, um, called the police. He wanted to keep the baby. Um, the police wouldn't let him. Uh, my brother went to, uh, I guess you would call it an orphanage. I don't know what they call it now, but um he was adopted by an older italian couple that couldn't have kids when he was 18 months um and he lived about 10 15 miles from his brother and sister and the rest of us after i was born um he had a better life than we did um he moved to california and um we didn't find him until after my father had died um, which was one of the worst parts mm. of it. Um, uh, my brother did a 23, not 23 me, ancestry.com thing mm -hmm. and, um, popped up that we, that there was a hit for a grandparent or a sibling in San Francisco, California. And two days later, I was talking to my brother, Scott on the phone, crying our eyes out. Um, about two months later, I finally met him um in person um so that really opened my eyes and explained to me why my father doesn't justify it at all but like really explains to me why my father really got addicted to alcohol and my mother went the direction she did what was their reasoning for giving up just one child so when my mother and my mother was 15 when she got pregnant and my father was 14. So they had my brother, my brother, my oldest brother, uh, when she was 16. Wow. And he was 15. And they told them if they had another child um, before my mother turned 18, that they would take both the children away and send her away. Um, so uh, my stepfather, my stepfather, my father dropped out of school, 
And he, from what I understand, and you know, family stories, you're supposed to take with a grain of salt or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But like my father was apparently a very good pitcher. Um, uh, he played baseball and was scouted by, from what my family tells me, the Orioles and the Yankees. But I don't know. I mean, they're <laughs> the two closest teams to where we were. Um, but, uh, I, I know that he was a really good pitcher. That's all I know. Um, I've seen him pitch, uh, at old age and he's a hell of a lot better than I ever was. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, but, uh, there, that was the reasoning. So they, my, my father got a job and they moved in together at a very young age. Um, and my mother basically wore big clothes and disappeared for like two months. Mm. when she got too big to show uh, where she was showing um and so yeah um it explained a lot between with my family um uh whyy out here which is like the npr affiliate they did a story on us um and uh a couple of years ago um but uh my brother moved back here a couple of years ago we don't really see each other. He's kind of, I'm the only one in the family that's not a right wing mm, yeah. lunatic. <laughs> I yeah, don't want to yeah, say yeah. lunatic, but like, uh, he was started it. sending me videos of like Andy No and like, here's what's wrong with California. And I'm like, oh my God, please don't. Be Shut up. California is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No. But so, like, after that, I think I was finally done with my mom. Mm. Uh, and then I started, like, before that, I started going to therapy, and then I stopped. And then 2017, my wife and I were in a fight, and we're driving down the road, and I just start breaking down crying. And she's like, what's wrong? And I said, I think about killing myself all the time Mm. and she's like what do you mean all the time and i said every single day it goes through my mind and i just lost it i i just and she like we got home and she's like we're gonna go inside we're gonna call someone we're gonna get you in therapy um we're gonna get you you know whatever you need um uh so ever since then i i i saw like three or four therapists and nothing was really going on. I was on medication. I was bouncing around, you know, trying to find the right cocktail that worked, um, which was a while. And it was really breaking my heart because I was like, this isn't fucking working, you know, and this is like the last thing I need. Like, this is what I need to work and it's not working. And then finally, I heard some, listen to some other men. And I know that sounds a little weird, but there's a stigma around men talking about mental health. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why I talk so openly about the stuff I went through. Um, And I heard some guys talking about therapy and like, the only way it's going to work is if you really buy into it. Mm -hmm. And it's such a simplistic thought, but it's 100% true. So I... I found a new therapist. I didn't know who she was. I just found her through my insurance. I walked into the therapy room and there's just religious books everywhere. Mm. And I'm like, 
fucking gotta be kidding me. I'm walking to a Christian therapist and I sat down and we start talking and she's like, you seem a little uneasy. And I'm like, I, I grew up in the church and like, we can get into it, but like seeing all these books around here, it's really concerning to me. I was like, are you a Christian therapist? And she's like, no, I have all these books because I uh, I specialize in religious trauma. Oh, hallelujah then. <laughs> and I was Woo! like, you got to be kidding me. And so we just started talking and it turns out she grew up in an evangelical church in, in Canada. And we went through a lot of the same stuff within church-wise. And I finally said, okay, I'm going to open up. I finally have somebody that understands where I'm coming from. Um, and this is finally it. Um, so four years later, I've still been seeing the same therapist for the same for weekly for the last four years. Um, and it's done a world of difference in my life, um, of course, but like in my families and my kids. Uh, I've learned how to be a better parent. Um, I've learned how to be a better husband, friend, everything. Um, setting up boundaries was something I had no clue how to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and about two years ago, I was sitting in therapy and I was told my therapist is like, I don't want to talk to my mom anymore. How can I get to that point of where mm. I can't have, I don't have to have contact with her. And we decided that the best way to do it was to write her a letter. And this took six months for me to write this letter. So this does not happen overnight. Mm -hmm. Like this is not an overnight process. I wish it was. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and I know a lot of people go into therapy and expect to snap their fingers and stuff to get ready to get better. It fucking sucks. It is one of the worst things I've ever had to go through. Mm but it's one of the best things I've had to go through. Um, uh, six months it took me to write, write that letter. It took me another three months just to send it. Mm -hmm. So uh, it sat there on my nightstand and I read it over and over again. I read it to my wife. I read it to my therapist, made sure it was the right tone, what I wanted to say. Um, I sent it right after my birthday. And my birthday falls two weeks before Christmas. So she got it between my birthday and Christmas. And um, that wasn't on purpose. I wasn't trying to ruin her holiday. It was just time. And she deserved it. <laughs> yeah. I, and I've heard that and I'm like, yeah, I guess so. But, you know, uh, I got in the, I got a letter back from her on uh, in January. And my therapist was before I got the letter. She was like, what are you expecting it to say? And what do you want it to say? Mm. So I was like, I expect it to say that she's sorry, but. And if I would have known, but. Um, I tried my best, but. And I said, what I really wanted to say is, I'm so sorry. How can I help repair our relationship mm. if it can be? Um, and I got the letter I expected to get. Yep. So, uh, that was the end of that. 
Um, she showed up one time at my house uh, when I was at home and dropped off a bunch of gifts, but just on the porch. Mm -hmm. And like, I wrote her another letter back and said, listen, I said, no contact. This is what I meant. Um, if you show up here again, I'm going to call the police. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was pretty much it with her. Uh, my sister has text messaged me, my oldest, and has been like, why don't you talk to your mom anymore? And I was like, that's between me and her. And I said, you can talk to her if you want to, but, but mm -hmm. that's between me and her. I was like, you, you were... You were in the fucking Air Force while I was yep. getting beaten up. You know, I was mm -hmm. just like, you don't, and like her defense is always no defense about that, but her, her explanation is like, well, Bob, my stepfather, he came in and took on the responsibility of two children and a single mother and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you were 3,000 miles away. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what do you have to say? You know, so. Um, we went through that argument and needless to say, I don't talk to any of my other siblings. <laughs> so, uh, it's for my best mental health. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the most important for myself right now. Um, I want, I left out one story that I wanted to tell you. Um, we got time. I ain't got no time limit okay. here. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, it's one of the hardest ones. Um, it involves my mom. Uh, but I had a I had a girlfriend uh, when I was nineteen. I was really really into her, mm. um, and we would sit in a room and just and talk. She lived with with her mother and her father, uh, so we sat in both rooms and we would just watch movies and talk about life. And like she really taught me about abortion and politics. And what, like, what it really, the reality of a lot of this stuff. And she really opened my eyes to a lot of things. But at the same time, she was battling with a lot of mental illness. Mm. And which I didn't really know about. Um, so one night we were together in her room. It was like midnight. Um, and she went into the bathroom. And this is another trigger warning. Sorry. Mm. Um she went in the bathroom and cut her wrists mm. um uh i was there by myself with her and she came out of the bathroom with the lights off and just laid next to me mm. uh so i woke up when i realized something wasn't right and when i didn't wake up i i got out of bed and went over and and turned on the lights and i was had blood all over me and she had blood all over her I ran into the bathroom, saw what was all over the, grabbed anything sharp, threw it all out the window. She came in the bathroom and started screaming at me and punching me and, and pushed me out of the bathroom. Um, and I broke down the door, uh, took towels, wrapped them around her arm, held her down, and just screamed for like an hour for somebody to come help me. And finally, mm. her mom came home from the bar at about two in the morning and uh, called the ambulance. Ambulance came and took her. Um, I talked to her mother and her father. Her father showed up and her sisters. And, you know, they thanked me and everything. And and I went to the convenience store I worked at 
talk to my manager Tammy, who I'm still close friends with today. Mm. She's she's like she's like my grandmother. Like uh, so, and she just held me and cried and was like, "Anything you need." And so I was like, "Okay." So I go home because I was living with my mother and stepfather, and my mother's at the table reading her Bible and doing her devotions. It's like seven in the morning. I walk in the house. I'm a fucking mess. I still have blood on my clothes and on me. And she just looks at me and she's like, where were you? And I was just like, well, my girlfriend, um, she tried to hurt herself and I was there. Luckily I was there and I had to help her and I had to stay with her. And she just looked at me and she said, well, she needs Jesus. And I just turned around and went upstairs and cried myself to sleep. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's my mom. So, and like, uh, yeah, I put this in the letter to her and like, I told her that this girl um, grew up to be a lawyer and like mm. is an amazing person now. And I'm like, that's the person you said that needed Jesus and your son needed a hug, you know, and that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And so I think going through that in therapy and actually walking through that event over and over again, which is terrible and coming to terms with not with what would happen, not what was going on with her, but focusing in on the reaction from the one person who was supposed to love you in that moment. Mm. and realizing that she not that she didn't fall short she didn't even show up mm -hmm. um so that was definitely a building block on me saying no more um and i don't want this around my kids my kids will not be a part of this mm -hmm. um my youngest son uh is fluid um they told us year like two or three years ago that they want to go by they them um they came downstairs one day uh the first day of school two years three years ago the year after covid so well not covid isn't over of course but 2021 whatever and they came downstairs first day of school and they were wearing a dress and i was like is that what you want to wear and they were like yep i was like let's go and the whole time I'm a nervous wreck because I'm thinking of all the parents I grew up around, like all the, mm. all the adults at the time when I was a kid and how they would have reacted seeing a, a boy in a dress and like how it is now. And I, I was scared to death, not for my child because they're the strongest person I've ever met in my life. Mm. Um, uh, but for the parents that can't handle this. Mm and how i'm gonna have to deal with them and knock a few heads around if i have to but like it's like it that's the only fear i have with with my son mm. and i see so much hope and strength in them and who they know they are that it does make me angry a little bit not at them but at the fact that I could have been that, mm -hmm. you know, I'm 42 now and 
I've just started using my voice when I could have been using it all along. Mm. And there's regret with that. And I'm upset about it. But at the same time, I'm also like, I'm finally doing it. I'm at least doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any questions about any of that long story? I'm sorry I blabbered on. Well, who am I to question your story? But <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you telling the story because I feel like it's very powerful. I mean, look at what happens behind the scenes of some of the most religious homes. It's still yeah. religion won't save every kid or every parent or whatever, you know? Yeah. And but like the yeah. th- thing is, like if if I would even told my mother what my stepfather was doing physically or even sexually, because my mother was physically abusive, also not just with the pins, but like, mm-hmm. um, it would have got she would have gone to the church. I know this now by doing research and going through how this has happened in church churches across America. Mm-hmm. If she wasn't going to pick up and leave at that moment, if I would have told her. Then she would have gone to the church and they would have told her the umbrella. Mm-hmm. They would have told her to uh, stay with your husband because that's what God commands. They would have been like, well, we'll talk to him and nothing would happen. Mm-hmm. And so, just more trauma for no reason, truthfully. Yeah. Yeah. So your what ifs or buts or whatever are worthless. Yeah. Because I know the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, uh, coming to terms with my parents. My stepfather tried calling me once a couple of years ago, and he left this tearful voice message, and I just I blocked the number and deleted the call. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> which anybody listening takes strength. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about the the pull of abusers that is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I wasn't in the therapy I was in, if I w- didn't have the support structure I had, I probably would have gone back and been like, please love me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I'm missing this hole. There's a hole in my heart and I'm, I think that you might be able to fill it this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a lot of the times we're just imagining what we want. And instead of what the reality is. Oh, don't I know it. Yeah. I mean, like I went no contact with my mom in January and it took me a month. She did something egregious. Uh, She said something um, and it felt like I was being tortured. Like it Mm -hmm. referenced my friend who I'd cared for for six months, her recent suicide. Mm -hmm. And I stood there and I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, we're having this conversation. After I had done a full day of work, my mom wants to be like an influencer. So I like set up like the professional lights and I did like yeah. the videos, like all this stuff. And then she comes at me with this after like a family meeting fight. And I remember like sitting with it and not saying anything. I didn't make any decisions then. And I call my best friend and she's so much nicer than I am. She has like family issues, but like, you know, she deals with them and she is all about grace and forgiveness and she i remember being so taken aback when she was like i think it's time to stop talking to your mom and i was mm. like oh and then everybody started saying that like that i would wow. tell and i was like but i have i 
I'm like a little bit on the opposite spectrum of you um, in the abused child where I do everything in spite of everything. <laughs> like my parents are so convinced that I was going to become a promiscuous drug addict that I was like, I'm not going to be a promiscuous drug addict just so they don't get to see. <laughs> um, but I always like, I'm still like, I have to save these people because I'm smarter because I've gone to therapy my whole life. I need to yeah. save them even for the sake of like my dad or my siblings. Yeah. yeah. And then after all these people telling me the same thing, and then my therapist said the same, well, she didn't say it. Cause you know, <laughs> yeah, they don't tell yeah. you what to do. They, they yeah, give you recommendations. Like, how do you Maybe. feel about your best yeah. friend telling you not to talk to your mom? And I was yeah. like, I yeah. think she's right. <laughs> and, so but what, is it, what has it been like since you, since you cut contact Has your mental health been, I know at first it probably didn't feel that way, but like, how has it been since? Oh, since immediately. January? It was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. Good. Immediately. Like, Good. I just felt like I didn't have to worry about her. I didn't have to think about her anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, they're just not. I mean, they exist, obviously, but. And I have low contact with my mom because my fam my extended family is so close. Yeah, yeah. Um. So like, I saw my cousin's graduation dinner, and we sat near each other, and we had pleasant surface Pleasant level conversation. Yeah. 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 But like, I made it very clear: like, you don't get to be in my life. And all I'm asking for is a fucking apology, right? Like, accept <laughs> that you did, and just apologize, and we can move on. Yeah. Like, um. I mean, things will not be the same, but my mother's definitely on the narcissist spectrum. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, my wife and I both agreed, like, when we were talking about disciplining with, with children, um, I absolutely said I will never hit, mm -hmm. never do anything like that. And she was like, well, I would leave you if you did. And I was like, good. Good. <laughs> and, That's yeah. right. Correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> but I was also like, uh, we could never withhold our... I love yous and I'm sorry's. Mm -hmm. Um, so if we ever mess up, if we ever raise our voice or do like, we are more than okay going to our kids and saying that we're sorry mm -hmm. and explaining or, you know, not excusing it away, but like, uh, I'm sorry I yelled, but I was having a tough day at work. I came home and, and I took it out on you and I'm sorry. And it wasn't right, you know, mm -hmm. so, or something like that. Um, so something I never had as a kid mm -hmm. uh, and even the, I love you's, which is sad, but <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, I can't imagine. I don't remember very many times hearing that growing up. So uh, my kids hear it way too many times for me, but it, I feel like I can never say it enough. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah. Uh, what is how is your family since you have a bigger family not well a closer family uh how have they reacted to you not talking to your mother do they even realize it's going on yeah um i have a bunch of cousins that live nearby me and we grew up together so okay um i think that's like an immigrant thing when your family moves to the same area and then you just kind of like gravitate like all of our family parties yeah. are together every we had parties all the time um and they're honestly not surprised. I mean, they know my mom. They okay, know how she okay. is. And ever since I was a kid, this one specific aunt would always be like, don't listen to your mom. She's crazy. And <laughs> like that is, <laughs> it. it's weird how 
that was so life-giving to me like as a kid yeah because i was being told that i was a bad kid by my parents because i wasn't listening or i had i was an individual and i wanted to do arts and crafts and i was messy mm -hmm. and all this stuff and like my i was not a bad kid like i didn't smoke weed i didn't drink i was in marching bands like yeah i was a decent kid didn't have boyfriends whatever and still i was a bad kid and my family saw this and they saw me reading all these books and they saw me like pursuing all these endeavors and volunteering and they're like this kid's not a bad kid she's just not doing exactly what her mother wants her to do so yeah yep. your mom's fucking crazy and everybody would give me advice on how to handle her like just shut up like essentially like don't talk back and i was like i can't i have to um but everybody's pretty understanding i mean latin people don't understand cutting contact with your family so they're just like they're glad that i'll be civil with her um but yeah most people understand it i think even my dad hates it but he gets it okay even though he doesn't you know like it's like kind of like a yeah. woeful acceptance of the situation but i also like felt like i needed to set an example for my siblings i mean my sisters and meshed with my mother so they're mm -hmm. have a good relationship but my younger brother definitely took after me. <laughs> okay, okay. Although yeah. he's like he's a baby and he's the only boy, so like he smokes weed in the house and they don't kick him out and because you know whatever. And I don't <laughs> fucking understand why my oldest brother, who repeats these shitty cycles and does like everything my father did and like my mother he can do no wrong mm -hmm. i don't get it yeah like i never understood it i'm like you're constantly bailing him out i don't understand yes. <laughs> i mean my parents wouldn't bail him out but they just don't kick him out of that which is still like a lot for me like that's still if i got caught smoking weed i'd be out oh my god streets. so there's this hassan minaj bit that he does on his comedy special where it's like the younger siblings have no personality i went to war for you that's what i told my brother <laughs> i sent it to him and i was like your personality is mine bitch <laughs> yeah i don't my my sister my my sister closest in age to me she had a completely different experience with my stepfather of course but like she thinks he's the greatest thing mm, in the world mm -hmm. and i'm like nah he's not you know but trust like, me he's not <laughs> yeah trust me he's not so yeah but like my my sister is like she still follows the same like she had a baby young um i think she was like 18 she went awol from the army and she got in trouble for that wow um and my mother and i basically took care of her daughter for like the first three years until i moved to chicago like mm. um i would babysit i would uh you know if i wasn't working i was taking care of her baby when my mom got home i went to work like like shit like that like in mm -hmm. um i often feel like i'm the one that's on the outside looking into the family when mm -hmm. i'm not that I'm judging, I'm not judging with these things, but like I'm the only one that hasn't had a divorce, a kid out of wedlock. I haven't gone to jail. I haven't been arrested. Mm -hmm. um, other things. I'm like, but I'm the evil one. Like I'm the one that, because I don't go to church on Sunday. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like this yep. is this, 
like it blew my mind before I went into therapy because I didn't understand it all. But like now that I'm coming out of it, I kind of do. And I think I'm better off for it. But yeah, I was just I was just wondering how your siblings reacted to it because mine took it as a like an affront. Um, yeah, to, my my siblings yeah, actually yeah. don't go to church. I'm the only one okay. that goes to church and I fucking run this church and I preach yeah. at this church, but it's yeah. a gay church, so it doesn't count. It's worse um so Heard that before <laughs> i got no brownie points for that um but my older sister definitely holds a lot of resentment towards me from my childhood because i was the only one of my siblings that was i mean they all we all got hit but i was the bad kids so i got hit more often yeah and it was yeah. abusive um and i she doesn't normalize it i don't think that she she's definitely more left I mean, my whole fight, we're immigrants, so we're not going to be yeah. on the right side of anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're not one of those. Um, but she definitely holds a lot of resentment because she thinks I ruined her childhood. And I'm like, okay, well, oh. children are not responsible for the actions of their parents. But yeah, uh, we are trying to work through it. So that's a long process. But my brother is very much on my side. Like, this was fucked mm -hmm. up and this should have never happened. And um my dad apologizes as well, but is mm. also like, should my mom apologize to me for hitting me my whole time? I was like, yes, she <laughs> yes. should. And he's like, well, I'm not going to ask her to apologize. I don't need an apology. And I was like, well, whoop-de-doo for you, okay? Yeah, yeah, that's you. That's not me. I was yeah. like, we have different levels of what we see yeah. as uh, acceptable and not, you yep. know, so. But I will say, I am so beyond awed by your like bravery it take it's oh, i feel like you. people are not at all aware of how much bravery it takes to break these cycles because it's not easy i mean it you said it yourself therapy is incredibly difficult to try to break yes. these cycles in your own head it and is. even like i started therapy when i was seven for immigration stuff but one of the things that has always stuck with me is that my therapist taught me about how a child's brain chemistry can be so altered in their childhood yep and i have chronic depression and i now i'm like i will never know if my mental health is because of it was inherited or because i was just born that way or if my parents fucked me up to the point where i am debilitated and dis disabled for the rest of my life mm. and yep. Come, all these, of all of them. Yeah. <laughs> in the world in general. Yep. <laughs> all these, like, so yeah, it takes bravery to break the cycles and leave a, abusive relationships. Yeah. But then on top of it, to go against religion, right? Like you're indoctrinated, you're told to honor your parents and you're told to obey and blah, 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 blah. And to say, no, this is not what's going to happen. I just wanted to commend you for your bravery. Well, I really appreciate that. Uh, that was the honor your parents thing was the first thing that came up when I told my therapist I wanted mm. to write a letter. I was like, that is fucking with me so hard right now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I, and so like I had to do some re like a lot of therapy other than going through stuff was a lot of redefining of words mm -hmm. like pride. What mm -hmm. is actual pride? Is it a sin? No, it's not a sin. I was in like, what is this verse on where Jesus tells people about lust? I was like, does that actually have to deal with lust or does it have to deal with something else? 
consent well, <laughs> yeah well sin but like it also deals with like like the i believe the translation is that it don't like you can't lust after a friend's wife um if i remember right and it doesn't deal with just like a normal person and like seeing mm -hmm. someone and having like an attraction or you know looking at whatever you want to look at it doesn't deal with that and like so a lot of the stuff i had to redefine and and uh figure out what it meant to me and the world at large um and uh start from there so the honor thing was a hard thing because you know there's other verses in the bible of like you know don't provoke your children to wrath mm -hmm. lest they lose heart yep and um so it took a while of going through that my my therapist and if you're going to therapy i it's hard to find a religious trauma therapist it's very difficult i understand that i got some wrecks um, everybody they've been yeah. on the pod i got some wrecks uh, yeah <laughs> it's but like i hope that you find someone like that because it really opens up more mm -hmm. of the trauma <laughs> that's a good thing yeah. but it opens up uh, a, a whole other world of understanding of why your brain is wired the way it is um so it's done nothing but help me even though there's times where i feel lost and i'm drowning and um i feel you know i'm not gonna lie and say that the thoughts of suicide and uh self-harm don't come in they come in less frequently mm. um the uh you know intrusive thoughts were a big problem for most of my adulthood up until probably about five six years ago and mm -hmm. now if they come they would just wash right over me but like now i'm aware when they happen mm -hmm. and i'm like okay what's going on right now mm -hmm. i need to stop this what's going on let's figure this out um and like i i read books on cptsd uh which my therapist uh helped me go through which is chronic uh um, post-traumatic stress disorder um, which is I don't know if you've covered any of that before um, but it's it's uh, I haven't um, even though I have that diagnosis as well okay okay yeah I do too uh, bipolar uh, two with CPTSD um, so uh, basically it's um, so we all know CP we all know PTSD from like if a soldier was in a battle mm -hmm. and like you know something like that or tragically like a rape or but this is chronic like this is something that happens usually in your childhood mm -hmm. where the people that are around you that are supposed to trust and love and support you are the ones that are accused uh, uh, that are doing the abuse mm -hmm. um so chronic physical punishment um chronic uh chronic uh sexual emotional spiritual abuse all that stuff can result in the cptsd and if you look at a lot of the symptoms of it it was like oh oh my god like my wife opened the door of the oven the other like this is the other day this is years ago and i got hit with a blast of like heat and it triggered this anxiety that I had no idea where it was coming from. And like, uh, I had to sit down and like, I went through my man, the book that I had and like trying to figure out, you know, and there's going through how certain smells, certain feelings, certain, you know, certain little things can trigger 
these these feelings and here's why you have them and mm. it really opened up um my healing um mm. so we did two episodes on it on, on the podcast but um yeah uh it's it's been enlightening but at mm -hmm. the same time very painful <laughs> oh yeah i mean a lot of my cptsd symptoms or whatever you call it didn't even show up for me in a very evident way until i got married and started living with okay. somebody else and like forming mm -hmm. my own household so my mom i have ocpd my mom definitely has ocd so it's a little mm -hmm. bit like removed um and so she has a very clean house her house was the most important mm. thing it was well groomed and maintained and you could eat off the floors at any point um and i was messy i'm an artist so you know and smart the smartest people are always messy <laughs> 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 um but like so if you spilled anything it was a disaster right you'd get mm. yelled at and just like oh even a glass of water everything was a disaster so yeah. now every time I spill, whether it be and anywhere in the house, but especially on myself, I instantly have a panic attack. Oh man! And my partner has to be like, "It's okay, it's okay." Like we process that together, and he was like, "I think this one is like, it's okay, it's okay. We're just, it's just this. It's okay. Everything is cleanable." Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I just freeze. I'm like sitting there, like, ah, and I'm like drenched, and he's like coming over with towels. <laughs> I'm working on it um yeah awareness is one of the first is one of the most mm -hmm. important things uh you know i didn't aware i wasn't aware of my disassociation um, oh me neither from when i was a little kid uh and it happened when i first started going to church uh you know i would disassociate and like look into the pews and try to find faces or i would disassociate in my room you know there was mm -hmm. issues you know of course with my stepfather and like so like i didn't realize until i started going to therapy and looking into my issues that i was like you do this whenever you feel x y and z mm -hmm. and so when it happens now i'm like okay i'm in this why am i in this okay get out of it you know come back to your family come back to work mm -hmm. come back to do this um so yeah awareness of these little things that your brain has made for you to cope um yeah be aware of them because mm -hmm. they they probably lead to something else mm -hmm. and there's a reason that you're doing that um and to me it might not be to everyone else but to me it was important to figure out why my brain was acting that way me um, too and helps yeah. yeah but not not even to stop it because you know my right. therapist is like disassociate it's not a bad thing you don't need to think of it you know you don't mm -hmm. need to feel guilty about it it's a it's a defense mechanism that in a coping skill that your brain has come up with mm -hmm. and you need to figure out why you're doing it in this moment and that's all that you have to do and let's improve from it so um i when my wife and i would get in arguments and it'd become too much for me um, there's been a number of times where I've walked out of the house through my phone and gone on mile walks mm. where nobody can find me. Um, and it's scary for my wife and it like, it's fucked up and, uh, you know, I'm eternally sorry for it, mm -hmm. you know, but like, 
when it's happened, like each time it's happened since then, I've improved on it where mm-hmm. like the one time I threw my phone, but I, and I just went and sat in the corner of the yard. Mm-hmm. Then the next time I just threw my phone and just stood still. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not throwing my phone at all because I realize that I need it for other people to get in contact with me and it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and not to isolate myself. So little incremental changes, even when you're in a disaster and you feel like you're completely fucking up and like you feel like you're repeating the same cycles, those little incremental changes do help and they do yep. change things. Mm-hmm. And this therapy thing, and I don't expect everyone to have the 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 upbringing I had, but everybody goes through something. I think everybody should be in therapy, even mm-hmm. if it's to help you help you learn how to balance your checkbook without panicking. Yeah. Um, whatever. Um, those little incremental changes mean so much. And you don't yeah. see it until you're miles ahead. Yep. So yeah. And I think it's important to state that you had a traumatic childhood i had a traumatic mm-hmm. childhood mm-hmm. but that is not to say that this is the baseline for when you need help yeah absolutely not absolutely yeah. not you, like i've had so many friends who are women who have had great childhoods they have great parents but they have like body dysmorphia mm-hmm. um which can feel so small as a woman or so large mm-hmm. and regardless of how, that is therapy right like yeah. you yeah. have just anxiety that's there everything is therapy just do the therapy yeah my my oldest son uh who's 14 i have a fucking teenager oh no oh god i don't know how i got to this point Mm. (laughs) uh but yeah he was having anxiety with with tests at like eight Mm -hmm. years old and we were just like why can't we just get him a therapist I was like, he's not listening because they don't, they're not going to listen to you as a parent. Right. I mean, that's not, you know, not all the time, uh, especially as they get older. So why not have somebody else step in that's a professional that knows how to handle this? Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, suck it up, I, we actively went out and got him somebody to talk to. And like, it's been, it's been great for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's also, I don't know how many parents you have on, that listen to you but like i don't know my kids mean the world to me and it wasn't until and i hate saying this because i feel like that whole cliche well i you know i have a daughter so this is important to me but you know it's just like my mind didn't shift until i held my first kid for the first time um we were alone in a room together and i told you i was scared to death of having Mm. a kid and like i was emotionally detached i stayed up nights just scared to death um and didn't express any of this to my wife and um that's my fault (laughs) and part of the growing up that i had and something that i'm still working on um but like as soon as i held my son i was just like i was like i'm not gonna hurt you Mm-hmm. Mm. i'm not gonna lie to you i'm not going anywhere mm. and i'm gonna be here mm-hmm. so um well i think that's such a yeah. shift of perspective right like you you were once a baby yeah and you had parents holding you and they did not decide to do the that bare minimum right like of parenting yep. 
and it's just so like i'm not a parent but i have a lot of babies in my life and i look at any <laughs> baby any like teenager and i think like i would never like to my nieces i would never put you in harm's way and i'm just your aunt like, yeah i yeah. would never allow anyone to do any i would go to war for you i would kill for you yeah <laughs> and to have that it's realization so that people have parents <laughs> that don't yeah like it's not i don't have I to like fight against even though i do have the same insecurities about becoming a parent because i want to be a foster parent and adopt okay. so i That'd mean that's awesome. its own like yeah yeah <laughs> different situation but and then i like have those moments with my nieces and nephews and i'm just like I don't know if I have to worry all that much about turning into my mother because, oh my God, is this just not even my frame of reference anymore? Like, this is not yeah. a perspective that I can hold or understand truthfully. Like, these are human beings that are going to grow up. And if their trauma is going to be that they were too loved, oh well, you're <laughs> traumatized. They're going to go through enough trauma yeah. without you know your parents don't yeah as a parent you don't need to add to that this mm -hmm. world is going to be cool enough and they need a place where they can come home yeah. they need a they need you know i know the terms used over and over but safe place safe place mm -hmm. to come home from this fucking world and it doesn't necessarily have to be a house but it's just an environment that they can come home to where they yeah. feel that the people that are supposed to be loving them are there to love them mm -hmm. um so we've always told them that too uh you could be 45 and you need a place to stay and we're more than open for you um uh but yeah you're always welcome here um no matter what uh, and i hope that that resonates with them so that like when they're older they're not if they're looking at whether to sleep in their car or come sleep in your old bed you know that they'll choose to come sleep mm -hmm. in the old bed you know and like that's I like know. the most important thing to me is like that they'll want to spend time with me when they're older mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know it's uh it's weird learning to do this on the fly yeah um, i can imagine and yeah i wish i had gone to therapy before i had our first kid like I, there would have been a world of difference but like um but i think i've done a good job yeah <laughs> good i mean i i don't that's an, like we don't take pride in ourselves yeah because it's ingrained to not do that. And I take pride in the fact that I, I believe that I'm a good father. Yeah. I mean, so. even just this instance where the iPad went off and your kid went to go get it and it wasn't a big deal, right? And on my inside, I was just like, oh my God, he's gonna get, they're gonna get in trouble. Yeah, yeah no, no, but no, absolutely. Obviously I didn't, I knew that they weren't, but it was still oh, yeah, that like instinct yeah. of like, don't interrupt your parents when they're talking. They are, yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> I just think of all the time I wasted mm. sitting in pews void of any love. And I'm like, this this world that my kids have is just the upside down, mm -hmm. um, the good upside down of what, you know, what I what I had growing up. And they know that uh, we've talked about it. Um, I don't think it does anything to not be open and honest with your kids or right. age appropriate, mm -hmm. of course um but uh i just recently my my youngest turned 11 and we went on a car ride together to get ice cream and i told them about you know 
some physical stuff and why it's important for me of why they open up to me mm-hmm. um, and why I want to open up to them. And we had this active conversation about an adult thing, but on their level and they completely understood it. And we have a different type of relationship just based on that conversation than we mm-hmm. had the day before, from the day before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, be open and honest with your kids. Tell them you love them and say you're sorry. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, Chaz, do you have any final thoughts for the folks at home or wherever you are? I, I don't know. Like, I think the one reason I want to come on here was just to tell people that it's possible to get through this. Mm. Um, my therapist asked me what makes she didn't say it like what makes you so special <laughs> like <laughs> like like why did you make this out because there's survivor guilt um mm. on my end because i've seen people that have gone through this that aren't with me anymore yeah um I i've seen pe- people my age die from opioids and suicide i've mm. had people that have committed suicide uh, that have been my friends um going through abuse and everything and there is you can get through it it it's it's hard work but i think as a society now we're more open than we ever have been when it comes to mental health Mm. and um especially when it comes to the fucking church um uh but you know my instance was compounded with my family and the church but that doesn't matter because your experience is just as important as mine and your healing is just important as mine and that's why i started the podcast um and i feel like even if i help my friend donovan um through his things because he's about 10 years younger than me and i'm trying to i'm like catch up with me you know Mm -hmm. we're we're doing this together buddy but you know um even if i can just help him i feel like i've i've accomplish more than i've thought i would with my life yeah and um yeah i work at trader joe's (laughs) part-time i love trader joe's what a great job well yeah i guess but it's like i like i come as come to this like i'm not a pastor i'm not a former pastor i'm not a former leader in the church i'm not i don't i haven't written a book i don't have I'm a nobody when it comes to religion and religious studies and whatnot, but I'm want everybody to heal. I Mm. want people to move forward and have lives that are special and fulfilling and find your purpose. Um, And it doesn't have to be a long-term thing. It just be like, my purpose today is to go swimming with my kids in the pool. Mm. that's my main goal for the day to make sure that they have Mm -hmm. a good time yeah or to read a book or whatnot you know um we're brought up to be directionless Mm. um within the church Mm -hmm. um i've seen so many people graduate from high school or christian college and just be absolute lost and then when they leave the church it's even worse yep yep so um, I'm part of those directionless people. <laughs> That's why I'm working at Trader Joe's. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kissy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Cute. Uh, so oh my I god! I just got my kid. So yeah, give me a kiss. So uh, uh, I can't even imagine. I'm just like nobody hugged me. <laughs> I know. I know. It happens. I love it. Happens it. to me. I feel that too. And there's times where I've you know just sat there and been like. I wish somebody was like that to me. But now we have those people, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's another thing. I'm sorry I'm babbling. No, I love it. Find a support system. Mm. Even if it's online. Mm-hmm. Even if it's even if it's a podcast, even if it's uh a friend that you talk to on Instagram, find at least one person that you can go to and say, I'm not doing all right today. Mm-hmm. You know, just so somebody knows. Yep. You know, you it it's just as important as going to therapy, taking medication if that's if if that's something you need to do. Um finding that support system so then when you're in those places that you have at least one person to reach out to. So um and that again is another fucking hard thing to do. It's hard to be on the brink and 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 not wanting to be here anymore mm -hmm. and picking up the phone and reaching out to one person just to tell them that because yep. we're not supposed to do that yep <laughs> Give yeah it to the lord it's or true. suck it up it's true yeah so mm. oh yeah 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 it's that one yeah i don't know <laughs> you have to give me a minute all right and i'll help you so I love Sorry, it. they they're trying to figure out how to cast their phone to their TV. So for wrestling. I feel that I'm very much children <laughs> first. I feel like children should be able to interrupt adult conversations. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm very much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they have important things to say. And you know, um, yeah, the idea of a ch child's world is worldview and world is so small, that as adults, we look at it so big. Mm -hmm. But like, in that moment that that video game is like, yeah the most important thing in their life that's mm -hmm. their whatever big is your deadline or whatever that you're working on so i think once we realize the perspective of a child yeah. that they don't need to be up on our level we need to be a little bit more down on theirs so. yeah i mean i remember being a kid and having all these dreams and ideas and now i'm an adult and i'm jaded and i'm just like ugh, and i just think that children should never have to lose that like we lost yeah. it yeah, well, I, my my oldest son is big into sports, and I told him, "Listen, you can try to be the biggest baseball player in the world, but if that doesn't work out, there's other jobs within sports that you can look into. You can become mm -hmm. a massage therapist. You can become a trainer. You can work on your voice. You can work behind the scenes. There's there's thousands of jobs that you can do. Mm -hmm. But if you love sports, you that doesn't mean that you have to play it. So yeah. let's." there's let's look at the let's look at the world of of sports and find something that you're into mm -hmm. besides you know we'll push you for to play baseball and we'll drive it to your games and sit there during practice but like if that's not in the cards we're gonna help you along the way so yeah, yeah. plenty of sports jobs in these these days so gotcha boo boo <laughs> <laughs> absolutely oh my gosh um, 
Well, friends, this has been a long conversation, but I think it was worth it. I loved it. (laughs) I mean, I listen to three, five hour long podcasts, so it doesn't bother me. If it bothers anybody else, well, it's a free show. Sucks to suck. (laughs) Me neither. Our our episodes usually run like anywhere between like an hour and 45 minutes and like three hours, depending on what we're talking about. So, yeah. Exactly. You hear a lot of me babble. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Uh, But yeah. um, Plug away. If you want to listen. You can to the excommunication station, uh, XCOM pod on social media as we just signed up for a threads account. Whoa. Yeah, I yeah. haven't done that. We never for did this Twitter. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but Instagram, uh, and uh, I do have another podcast. If you're interested in the band The Cure at all, I do Love a podcast the about The Cure. Um, yeah, we have like 300, uh, 200 and some odd episodes about The Cure. Um, which is weird. Uh, we're called the Holy Hour. Um, there's uh, a lot. The, there's a lot at the Cure. You know, there's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot of albums. So, uh, but yeah, um, we do that. But uh, yeah, the excommunication station is my main focus uh, when it comes to this and healing, helping people heal and have fun diving through all the shitty things that we went through in the church. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, I I wish I would have done it ten years ago, when podcasting first started or whatever. Ugh, amen. Like, I'm I'm having so much fun doing it now. Yeah. And one of my favorite things growing up was writing, mm. and it got squashed by the church. Yep. It got squashed by my youth pastor who I wrote something one time and he looked at it and said, "This is just a straw man argument." And like basically threw it to the side. Of course. And so I kept that quiet for till I started doing the podcast. And I was just like, I love writing. It's one of my favorite things in the world to do. And I'm going to use it for as good as possible. And like, I wrote like a small book on Carmen, which blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> like... Hey, if you need a publisher, I got some connections. All right. So let me know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. Follow follow us there, XCOM Pod. Um, generally on Instagram, we have a Facebook community. Um, if you want to go there, I know a lot of people don't use Facebook anymore, but you know, threads and everything. Um, but yeah, reach out to us anytime. We respond to any message we get. Um, and if it's just to say hi, or like I just need somebody to talk to, or you know, if you're in a bad spot, I'm. Me, Chrissy, or Donovan are more than help, more than happy to help you. Uh, we've had, I don't know about you, but I'm blown away by a lot of the messages I get. Mm, um, me too. I brought to tears um, just realizing that some of these people went through some of the same stuff I did, and that there's people out there that want to help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, Thank you for what you do. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks. Um, you, you, it helps. Like, yeah, yeah. talking helps. Mm-hmm. It's part of therapy. Um, so, That's why I make an idiot of myself on the internet because it helps somebody. <laughs> yeah, it does. It really yeah. does. Like, I didn't know it did, but like, just having somebody speak on your either your behalf or like, like the same vein that you're in, like, really empowers you to say things. Mm-hmm um and stand up so if i've empowered anyone to flip over a table at thanksgiving and walk out on their family mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more than happy with that. <laughs> we should all be doing that friends all right yeah absolutely just like so, jesus <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, hell yeah um 
but thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry I babbled so much. I have a issue doing that. That's why I write instead of well, as a the therapy dome. informed human, I'm going to tell you, you shouldn't be apologizing so often. <laughs> I know, I know. Thank you, Manila. That's my therapist name. Yeah. Oh my so, gosh. But- but yeah. thank you. I can't wait to have you on. Um, um I, I absolutely can't wait. I'm you've kind of inspired me to go down that uh down that rabbit hole of research once I'm done with this satanic panic stuff. Uh, oh my so, gosh. I'm looking forward to that. Satanic panic yeah. and I are because that's still very pervasive in the Latin community. So I'm I'm still in this. I would love panic. to hear about that. Oh, maybe we'll have a conversation later for research purposes. Absolutely. I would love to hear about that. I yeah. never see this is the thing like just hearing different perspectives. I'm like interesting. Like homeschooling people. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I know. God like, bless holy you. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I haven't even thought of like what that's like within the Latin community. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't do yoga. I can tell you that I do, but oh, well, I'm a devil worshiper for doing yoga. Yeah, my stepfather told me that too. That was a lot of the new age stuff was all satanistic, and we would get mm-hmm. possessed. Uh, but like, yeah, he had a book that we went over on the podcast called Turmoil in the Toy Toy Box, <laughs> and it's basically telling you how like um, the Smurfs are satanic, humans yes! satanic. Um, oh yeah pokemon we weren't allowed to do the pokemon this was before pokemon so like this was like 80s stuff Mm -hmm. uh so yeah um yeah pokemon definitely would have been allowed in my house if if i was a little bit past the harry potter yeah Mm -hmm. i was just missed that too but yeah i know friends that were like you can't you can't go through this Mm -hmm. you'll be possessed so Yeah. yeah i'm gonna i'm actually looking at writing that down really quick so i don't forget do it um, in my little notes uh but yeah uh i'm sorry don't be sorry i already said that i know <laughs> it's okay i'm just gonna keep telling you we're gonna okay, uh... cbt this together <laughs> <laughs> now it makes me wonder what rapture anxiety is like in other communities oh my god it's so bad oh i had such bad rapture anxiety um yeah, it's really bad. What did it start on? I don't mean to make this go longer, but what no, did it start you, on? Uh, when did it start? Or what did it start on? Like, I know mine kind of started with um, um, that movie, uh, Thief in the Night. Oh, yeah. Um, I think my real rapture anxiety started when we watched The Day After Tomorrow, which is not a religious movie at all. No, no, no. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's apocalyptic. and I. But then all the, like, signs and wonders just came to a head for me. Like, I had a full understanding of the end of the world. And I was like, and I have to. Left Behind have anything to do with it? I don't think. I don't remember. I watched. I for sure watched it. But I don't remember ever, like, (laughs) Curious Monkey. Do you want to say hi? Hi. hi. We're just talking about (laughs) trauma. (laughs) But, um. Oh, you, she need or they need you. Give me one second. Sorry. That's okay. Um, yeah, after that, it was pretty... I remember always telling myself... I think I said this on the podcast before, but, like, I convinced myself that nobody knew when the world was going to end, so if I thought that the world was going to end, then it wouldn't end because I thought it was going to end. There's a lot of mental gymnastics. Uh, so I had this... This is this is something that my therapist has told me that I like 
filtered my anxiety through was uh, I had this notebook in my room that was yellow and it had paper in it. And I convinced myself that if I used any of the paper in this notebook, that the end of the world, that the uh, rapture would happen. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I put this weight on me mm-hmm. for years. And mm-hmm. when finally that notebook got thrown out, I had like in anxiety overload mm-hmm. um, when I moved out and my mother threw it out just because I'm just like, oh, my God, somebody's going to use the paper out of it. And there we go. And yeah. like I was so scared of being alone. And, you know, oh, man, you just like <laughs> just remembered that <laughs> yeah. of you putting so much weight on yourself when it mm-hmm. came to this. Yeah. Oh, poor babies. We were such yeah, poor babies. I know. Oh. We're healing, though. So it's all we good. Are. When we're all healing oh. together, friends. Yes. Absolutely. No worries. <laughs> all right. Well, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm going to keep you on longer than, than it has to be. Oh, that's okay. Now I have to plug because that's um, your job. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I always have to close my eyes because I have to remember. Okay, let's do this. Instagram, speaking in church. <laughs> if you want to find me, I'm at Josie Takes the World. If you want a tip, we have a tip jar. Buy me a coffee. Um, be nice to your children. Be nice to yourself. And as always, stay woke or get woke. Bye. This has been an irreverent media podcast.